The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. It's that time. It's that pet time. And you are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. First, we want to let you know that the Pet Buzz is now airing around the country on 59 stations and continuing to grow strong around this U.S. of A. You know, Dr. Fleck and I want to give a shout out to some of our new stations. So, Welcome WMVAAM, that's 1450 in Martinsville, Virginia, and WKZO, 590 AM and 106.9 FM in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Just so you know, Kalamazoo is home, the hometown of Dr. Fleck, and KFOW, 1170 AM and 106.3. 3FM, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and KPAY, 1290 AM, 102.9 FM, 93.9 FM, and 100.5 FM in Chico, California. All I have to say is yippee, more to come, always more of the pet buzz to come. You know, occasionally in my travels, I get to meet station owners and their staff. And recently, Dr. Fleck and I had lunch with Joseph Fiorini from Fiorini Broadcasting and his staff member, Carrie Black. Fiorini Broadcasting airs our show on WENG 1530 AM and 107.5 FM in Inglewood, Florida, and WENG 98.1 FM in Port Charlotte, Florida. Joe and Carrie have always been very vocal about expressing their opinions about our show, and we appreciate all of their feedback. Dr. Fleck and I want to create the best possible show so that you can take better care of your pets, and we hope that our listening audience as well as other station staff will do the same. We love to hear from you. As I said, our goal is to help you take better care of your pets, and we want to hear from you. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us if we're helping you. Tell us if you like or dislike a particular segment and, of course, why. It's all good for us and for you. Write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. So let's kick off the show with our weekly countdown. In segment four, we're talking with, at Tovas Loran University, Dr. Claudia Fugaza about her do-as-I-do training method as applied to a Japanese cat who mimics her owner. In segment three, consulting criminologist Paul McCauley speaks with us about dog bite fatalities by canine police dogs. And in two, in this portion of the show, I talk about Jennifer Aniston's new pet. And I talk about exercise for dogs of all ages. And in one. So we're living in different times. And in the past, parental fears about, you know, razor blade candied apples, and poison chocolate. But now there's COVID-19, right, Dr. Fleck? Yes, there is. And parents are not only worried about that, but pet parents are worried too, as well as other Halloween pet dangers. And joining us today to talk about pet dangers is veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer. Dr. Wismer is the veterinary toxicologist, and she is the medical director of the ASPCA's Animal Poison Control Center. Dr. Wisner, 
welcome you back to the Pet Buzz. Thank you for inviting me back. So, although many Halloween activities are canceled in local communities, do pet parents have to worry about COVID-19? So what we know is we know that certain species of animals, dogs, cats, can get COVID-19. Now, in most of these cases, it appears that that's because they're living with a person or they have a caretaker that has COVID-19. As far as we know, there are no cases of dogs or cats uh, spreading the disease to people. Yeah, I mean, I personally was thinking about going to these big Halloween activities, costume contests, where everyone's crammed together in a park and, you know, wearing masks, not wearing masks, getting COVID from each other, and then, of course, passing it on to their dogs and cats. So... But those aren't going to happen this year. They're not going to happen to this year. Well, you know, it's interesting. According to the National Retail Federation, 18% of pet parents will buy costumes, which I think are a little bit more expensive this year than last. But so can you talk to us about the dangers of pet costumes for our fur kids? Sure. When we think about pet costumes, right, some dogs and cats, you know, they love to dress up, right? They think it's cool. They think it's fun. They love the attention. Others... Absolutely not. Um, So certainly, you know, don't stress out your animal if they don't like to wear a costume. Or, you know, maybe they like to wear, you know, the sweater part, but they don't want to wear the hat. So kind of gauge it towards your own pet. And also make sure that, you know, your animal is able to see and breathe easily uh, with their costume on. Um, We also don't want um, animals chewing on the costumes, right, and eating pieces of them. You know, fabric, strings, that type of thing can certainly be problematic. Yeah, I mean, I have a huge costume costume. Collection, right, Doctor Flex? Yes, you do. It's 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 literally crazy. And one of the things I always have to buy, be careful of, especially when I buy costumes, is to make sure they fit so they're not too big, right. so they don't trip and fall. So that, I think that's also a consideration too, right? Yep. Yeah. Sure is. Okay. Yeah. So we are talking to one of our favorite guests, and that is Doctor Tina Wismer. I think you had a question, Doctor Fleck. I did. You know, it seems as though Halloween decorated has already kicked into high gear. So what do pet parents need to know about decorating while having pets? So a lot of us are going to decorate with, you know, kind of fall-themed things like gourds and pumpkins. And those are actually quite safe around our pets. However, things like candles, right, definitely a danger. Uh, We don't want them setting themselves on fire or knocking over candles and, you know, certainly setting your house on fire, definitely um, something we don't want. We also have to think about a lot of um, people are using these really cool Halloween garland. And just like we face with tinsel at Christmas time, if these are ingested by pets, it can actually cause an obstruction. What about spider webs? Because those are fairly inexpensive. You can buy and buy the box. People love to hang them out on the windows and in the trees. Is that similar to garland? I mean, there could be a blockage. Certainly. And especially when we talk about spider webs, they're pretty light. So they will move in the breeze and they are like catnip for cats. And, you know, they start chewing at one end and then they can't stop until they get to the other. So definitely an obstruction.
Well, my next question is right up your alley because you are the ASPCA's Animal Control Center's major lady, the toxicologist. So what do we think of when we think of Halloween? We think of candy. And, of course, if you got the blue pumpkin, you got raisins, too. So remind us of the dangers of candy, chocolate, and raisins. We'll start with the most popular toxin for dogs, and that is chocolate, right? All kinds of chocolate. So toxicity of chocolate is going to vary on the darkness of the chocolate and the amount that's ingested. So certainly smaller amounts can cause stomach upset, you know, some vomiting or diarrhea. But as we get into higher amounts, we worry about heart rate, blood pressure, potentially, you know, uh, muscle tremors and seizures. So try to avoid chocolate with our pets. And you mentioned raisins, right? Especially with dogs, they'll eat, you know, the entire box of raisins. And we do worry about kidney failure with dogs. That's good to know for all those turquoise pumpkins, healthy mums out there. <laughs> and when she meant the box, she meant the whole box. The whole box. <laughs> the whole, not just the contents, the whole box. Well, Dr. Wismer, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great segment to have to share. Thanks for being with Thank us. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Well, everyone, that <laughs> was welcome. veterinarian Tina Wismer. Dr. Wismer is the medical director of the ASPC Animal Poison Control Center. I'm loving this pet buzz, and I hope you are too. We'll be back soon, so stick around. We always have more to chat about, but for more information about this past segment, you want to visit the ASPCA.org. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. Tever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life.
Thank you so much for joining the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Pet Dynamic Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, celebrity pet news is the first way we're going to kick off the segment. Wagamore Pets is in the news again. If you recall, last I talked about them, they supplied John Legend and his wife with an adoptable dog whose brother had been adopted by mom manager Chris Jenner, whose boyfriend Corey Gamble does all the dog care work. Well, the organization's newest dog mom is Jennifer Aniston. The Friends alum announced on Instagram that she rescued a new puppy named Lord Chesterfield and shared a video of the adorable dog sleeping with a bone in his mouth. Additionally, she extended a huge thank you to Wagmore Pets for the incredible work that they do. She said she was grateful that they take such great care of these rescues and find them forever homes. And I just want to know who's next. What celebrity will be getting their next pooch from Wagmore? Maybe it could be you. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's going to take long. You got the time. And now, what you've been waiting for, Flex Facts. Dr. Fleck, what are we going to talk about today? Exercise. How much exercise is enough for our dogs? And let's start with puppies. Okay. Puppies generally have more energy than the adult dogs. Obviously, we know that. So they require more exercise in short bursts. Since puppies are constantly growing, including several short walks or play sessions throughout the day, is a safer choice than going for one really long walk, as this can be too hard on your puppy's developing body. So recognize that every puppy is different. And the more time you spend with your pup, the more you will learn about how much exercise she or he needs to keep him or her happy. Prior to buying or adopting a dog, and even after, talk to an adoption counselor, breeder, or your veterinarian about how much daily activity is appropriate for your puppy. And don't forget that exercise is a great way to train and socialize. And that's really, I'm glad that you brought that up because during the pandemic, so many people were not able to socialize their dogs with other dogs because of the social isolation that we were living with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you might say socialization was more local than expanded. Okay, so what about adult dogs? Well, your dog's breed or genetic makeup heavily influences the level of physical activity he or she needs. Mm -hmm. High-energy dogs or breeds, such as Border Collies and Belgian Malinois, they require a lot more exercise than low-energy breeds like the Bulldog or the English Toy Spaniel. Actually, I thought about my friend Debbie, who has both, a Bulldog and English Toy Spaniel. So a breed's exercise requirements are important to keep in mind when choosing a puppy. It is not a good idea to buy an active dog breed unless you already lead an active lifestyle. Come on, makes sense. And it is unrealistic to expect your toy poodle to join you for a marathon training unless you are pushing him in a stroller. Your dog's health is also important if your adult dog has a medical condition, such as hip dysplasia or heart or respiratory issues. So you need to talk with your vet about an appropriate exercise routine that will help him stay healthy 
without causing any discomfort. And, of course, your favorite senior dogs. My senior dogs. It is very important. Because you're a senior, too. Well, not that, too. Plus, I see so many senior dogs in the practice. Your senior dog might not be able to run as far as she or he once did. Remember that. And you might have to eventually restrict their running to a walk. But proper exercise is just as important for your senior dog as it is for your puppy. Yeah, that makes sense. Talk with your vet about exercising your senior dog and also observe their behavior. As the owner, you know your dog best and are the best judge of how much exercise your dog can comfortably handle. Exercise provides all dogs with mental stimulation and keeps them active. We know that as people, too, which can help prolong their lives and reduce the risk of obesity. You know, lastly, my last question for you is when we think of exercise for dogs, we think of walking or really outdoor exercise. What other suggestions can you make for indoor uh, exercise now that the weather in the majority parts of the country the temperatures are dropping and it's getting colder. Stairs. Okay, tell me about okay. stairs. Running up and down the stairs a few times when you can't get outside is great for building muscle. Just be sure not to push your dog too hard as this exercise is just as strenuous for dogs as it is for people. Take special care with your Doxies, your Pembroke Walsh Corgis, and other dogs with longer backs and shorter legs because those stairs may prove more challenging for these dogs. Yeah, it's challenging for me because I don't have any stairs in my house. Okay, what else? Hide and seek. Okay. Okay, so hide and seek gets your dog moving and provides mental stimulation. You can also work a game of chase. Anything else? Treadmills. That's one of my favorites. It is one of your favorites, and I have the vision of that ad on TV with the kid, the fat kid, with the dog with the leash. Uh-huh. Well, the cat, fat kid should be on the treadmill, too. But anyway, okay. if you're looking for a great dog exercise for high-energy breeds, look no further than the treadmill. With careful training, your dog may grow to love her treadmill workouts. While they are not a replacement for a walk or a run outside, treadmills do build endurance and don't rely on decent weather. You know, I'm thinking about tug-of-war. What about it? Good idea. Tug-of-war, when played properly, will build muscle and the human-animal bond. Most dogs enjoy tug, and there are a few variety of tug toys available. And lastly? Which you talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. And agility. When we think of agility, we usually think of outdoor, outdoor courses or large indoor agility spaces. However, you can make your own agility courses with household supplies, such as broom handles, boxes, hula hoops, and ottomans, and practice your agility skills at home or consider joining a local club with an indoor agility space. And don't be surprised if your toy dog or small breed dog loves this type of workout. It's true. I've seen from the smallest, tiniest poodle to the largest Great Dane do agility and absolutely love it. So... I am a firm believer in agility. Dr. Fleck, is there anything else? That's all the Flex fact for this week. Well, stick around. More of the pet buzz very soon. Bet you can't wait for my I Likey of the Week.
should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling and things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walked into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. Know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look. I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. <laughs> oh, look. They're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. That's the way. It's genius. It's to die for. I like it. The I like you of the week is Modicle. Pet company Bark has released presidential candidate dog toys, which means your pet finally gets to chew their favorite nominee. Just in time for the 2020 presidential election, Bark is selling its newest toy. Don't you love it, Dr. Fleck? Joe Biden. <laughs> it's Joining the brand's already popular toy. <laughs> the Dognold, which was first released in 2015, believe it or not, sold out in 48 hours and has become one of the most searched items on Bark's e-commerce platform. The chewable toys inspired by Democratic nominee Joe Biden and Republican nominee Donald Trump include different features which are specific to each candidate. So the Joe Biden dog toy shows Biden dressed in a blue suit with an American flag and flashing a big smile. On the website, the description reads, folks, here's the deal. Joe Biden is literally stuffed with a large squeaker. He's ready on day one for chewing, wrestling, and fetch. That's no malarkey. The Dognold is described as one doggedly determined Republican. The plush toy features Trump wearing a blue suit with a red tie and giving a soft smirk. Here's the key. His orange hair is also shreddable, making it the perfect toy for a playful pup. 
I've just been told our next guest is on the phone. In 2018, Joseph Petaway was at a house that his 87-year-old mother owned in Montgomery, Alabama. He was helping his mama fix up the uninhabited home, and he was given a key and allowed to sleep there. Well, someone saw him entering the premises, Dr. Fleck, and they called the police to report an intruder. Well, a police officer arrived on the scene with his police dog. The dog searched around the premises and then was ordered to run inside. The man was attacked by the dog and the canine handler failed to stop the canine and stood by for two minutes in which the dog mauled the man before the officer intervened. According to court documents, the dog tore an ornery in the man's groin, causing him to bleed out and later die from wounds at the hospital. After the police investigation, check this out. The home caught fire. <laughs> the case is horrible. Convenient. Very convenient. The case is horrible. I don't know how common it is, but we want to know if police dog fatalities, meaning police officers killing others, other human beings, is becoming a problem. So joining us to talk about fatalities and injuries caused by police dogs is Dr. R. Paul McCauley. Dr. McCauley? assist plaintiff and defense attorneys in police security and jail-related issues. He is an emeritus professor of criminology and former police trainer, security manager, and faculty of the National Crime Prevention Institute and the Southern Police Institute. He has qualified in state and or federal courts in more than 30 states and Canada. Dr. McCauley was an advisor to three national presidential and Congressional Crime Committees. He was a Fulbright Senior Scholar to Australia of Police Security Interactions. Dr. McCauley is a noted consultant and published author. Dr. McCauley, can we get started by your telling us about the valuable quality of police dogs? Sure. We know that a police dog on the scene has many favorable aspects or qualities, including they can run fast, they can outrun a fleeing suspect, they can locate uh, drugs, explosives, dead bodies, hiding people. And since we use the term valuable, I want to put the, this in context. Before the dog and his handler are on the street, the consideration of employing a, a police dog handler and the dog or purchasing a dog matters. And a dog initial training can cost in excess of $25,000. So that's one reason why you don't see every police department having a police dog unit. And recognizing that you want a police dog on each shift, it's argued that a police dog should not be on call but should be on the street, which means you need four dogs and four handlers. So that's over $100,000. And the issue, of course, is liability as well. Can we afford to have a tool, meaning the canine, that has the potential of causing uh, litigation? That kind of goes into my next question. Well, the United States Police Canine Association notes that a police dog is an instrument of force, like a baton. So can you talk about these canine characteristics in terms of the police use of force? A police dog and handler is a dog team, and the dog is basically under the command and control of the handler. The first step 
in the use of what we call the use of force continuum is the officer's presence. And when, with a canine, I'm talking about the policeman, the handler, and the dog. When they are present, they, in my opinion, they provide a strong deterrent to the subject fleeing. I don't know how many incidents occur where a person did not take an aggressive action against the policeman or fled because of the presence of the dog. But it is my expert opinion or my belief that that is the case in many situations. One of the things that I read in your paper, the decision to deploy a police canine must be based on a fact-specific three-pronged test. Can you review the test with us so we know when these cases come up or when we look at past cases what that test is? The current standard, I have to say current because this has been, the Graham test has been expanded a little bit. But the question is, at the precise moment that the officer used force, whether he shot somebody or she had a dog attack, used pepper spray, whatever, was it objectively reasonable, considering the totality of the circumstances, without the benefit of 2020 hindsight, knowing that things rapidly develop? That's what the Supreme Court has said. Now, the courts have said that a police dog is not deadly force. It is not inherently deadly force. It is less lethal, which means that you should only deploy a police dog when your life is in threat of serious bodily injury or death or someone else, which takes us to the point of asking the question, should a police canine be deployed on a misdemeanor or a felon? involving violence versus nonviolence. So it gets it gets kind of sticky, which means that the canine officer has to be well trained in the use of force because his dog is only plugged into one section of it, and that would be the section below the use of deadly force. So do you deploy the dog for a misdemeanor, meaning a person who is uh, suffering from dementia and walked into a 7-Eleven store and took a pack of chewing gum. Or maybe an intruder in a home. Is the home occupied or not occupied? If it's not occupied, then it's burglary. If it's occupied and they see it, then it's robbery, which is a higher felony. So you don't use deadly force. You don't use deadly force, and a canine is not deadly force by law. So you don't use deadly force to protect property. Fine lines. Exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that Dr. McCauley has to be so specific in his speech. And the fine line, if I may interrupt you, is the difference between the use of legitimate force and the use of excessive force. Excessive force is where the liability comes in. At the time the dog was deployed, was it objectively reasonable for the officer to deploy it? That's the test in kind of a nutshell. Well, on that note, we're going to let you go, and we thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, to remind you, that was Dr. R. Paul McCauley, an expert consultant for the police, security, and jail-related issues. You can review his research at IUP.org. I'm going to make sure to post a specific link on our social media channel so you can really read more about this. What a great interview. It was really a great interview, and we'll have to have Dr. McCauley back when we have more police and security and... You know, we'll bring him on as our show criminologist. Great. Okay, awesome. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. I'm petrinologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and and country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Now, this is really interesting, and I know you're going to find this interesting, Dr. Fleck. About 8,000 minks have died at fur farms in Utah and Wisconsin after a series of coronavirus outbreaks. According to the State Veterinarian of Utah, farm workers at various farms became ill in July, and soon after, the animals fell ill in August. Everything suggests that the virus was transmitted from humans to animals. So far, we haven't seen any cases in the news anywhere of the opposite, meaning from animals to humans, but testing is underway. So Utah was the first outbreak among mink in the United States, and additionally 2,000 minks have died from coronavirus at a Wisconsin farm. No pelts have left either state, which is a good thing. The pelts for most of the minks that have died from the virus have either been contained and buried or incinerated. So farm workers have been instructed to wear PPE, that's personal protective equipment, when they're around the animals. And it's important to note that other cases have been detected in Countries like the Netherlands, Spain, and Denmark. Mink are also very closely related to weasels, otters, and ferrets. And they appear to suffer similar symptoms to humans. Difficulty breathing and crusting around the eyes are usually seen. But the virus progresses rapidly. And most infectious minks are dead by the next day. So it's unclear what makes the mink such a susceptible species while others appear to be unaffected. And, you know, we talked about that last week. Dogs don't really show symptoms and they don't shed the virus just like cats. Seems like a perfect subject to be studying coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. you know, you've got to talk about it because we live with it every day. But now I've got a signal. Our next guest is on the phone. To imitate someone is to pay the person a genuine compliment. Often an unintended compliment. So who is imitating who? Well, researchers have shown that a Japanese feline can imitate the actions of her owner under controlled scientific conditions. The ability has only been seen in a handful of creatures, and the find could suggest imitation arose relatively early in a mammal evolution. And joining us today is Dr. Claudia Fugaza. She is a researcher at the Department of Ethology in Etwas-Lorand University, that's in Budapest. 
Her research is focused on dogs' social cognitive abilities. She developed a training method called Do As I Do Training Method. Due to its effectiveness, this method also spread in the applied field of dog training. Additionally, she devotes part of her research to study its effectiveness. Dr. Fugaza, Charlotte and I are pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Hi, hello everyone. Well, good evening or good morning for you, I guess, because for me in Italy it's evening too. So, Doctor, can you explain your do-as-I-do training method and its benefit? Yes, of course. So, well, the do-as-I-do is actually a scientific paradigm that was devised in the 50s to test imitation abilities in a home-raised chimpanzee. And uh, with this method, the chimpanzee was first trained to imitate or reproduce a small set of familiar actions on common doings. And um, and later, the animal was tested on his ability to generalize these rules. So the rule would be that do it means copy or reproduce the action. And uh, her ability to generalize these rules was tested with several different actions. And then this method has been uh, much later applied to other species, including dogs. So how did it come about that you started working with Ibusu? the world's first copycat, and tell us what Ibusu could do after watching her owner trainer doing it. Ibusu was not a very typical cat in the sense that she was very motivated by food so that the owner reports that she often would sneak in during dog training sessions and she would try to get some uh, treats that uh, were supposed to be for the dog. And uh, so these these high motivation for food made Ebisu um, a trainable cat because she would do things for, you know, for a treat in a sort of a similar way like a dog would do. And uh, this made her uh, training possible. Okay, so that leads to the second part of Dr. Fleck's question. What did the cat do? Did it sit? Did it, like, do high fives? What did it do? Um, in well, in the training, there's a, um, a bunch of actions that were included, such as, um, I think, opening a drawer, biting a string, lying down, um, raising uh, her paws like, you know, like a bear, and um, that kind of thing. And then um, the owner taught her a bunch, um, a couple of new actions as well, such as, that she would have to lie with her front paws on a on an object. So these are actions that the owner taught. But in the experiment, we included two actions carried out on the same object because this is the so-called two-action method, which in science is uh, considered a test for imitation because the um, the animal doesn't only have to match the object that the demonstrator uh, touches or manipulates or interacts with, but he also has to match the actions. Okay, Dr. Flat, can you imagine biting a string and then having our cat Hayden bite the string? No. No, neither can I. No. I mean, I don't even see you, I don't even see you rubbing your face on a box. No, 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 me either. No, no neither do no, I. Okay, but that's but. okay. So it's really funny because when I was doing research on the segment, it seems that one of our show friends 
Dr. Kristen Vitale, okay. a cat cognition researcher and animal behaviorist at Unity College, a supporter of your research, Dr. Fagaza. We knew Dr. Vitale before she was a doctor. <laughs> so that's one of our that's one of our jokes with her. So she says people think of cats as solitary and antisocial, but that your study reinforces the idea that they're watching and learning from us. Now, while you have supporters for your research, you also have critics. So what do your critics say about your research with Ibisu? The critics that I've heard about are um, basically telling that um, Ibisu could do it because she was trained to do so. But that doesn't mean that cats can imitate. Right. And I think that we have to um, elaborate a little bit on this to understand better the problem. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first problem we have, which is a big limitation of the study we published, is that we only tested one cat. Sure. That's great. I mean, that's really interesting. Okay. Lastly, do you have more planned research? Well, I'd, yeah, I mean, I'm a researcher, so of course I do have research plans. But at the moment, I'm working uh, mostly on dogs, and I'm working on a project on uh, language uh, learning and processing in dogs and also on a project on uh, social learning and dog puppies and kittens and uh, other species. Um, but I think that um, I do not have uh, research on, in, on uh, do as I do with cats for the moment, but I wish that, um, I hope that other researchers would take up the challenge of training cats with this method and letting us know uh, what they find. Well, I'm not surprised you're doing more language work with cats since you do speak three languages. So that makes (laughs) sense. Well, everyone, I want to thank Dr. Fagaza for joining us today and talking about Ibisu and her collaborator in Japan because I think it's really interesting research. We love to cover cats. We just don't talk about cats as much as we talk about dogs. Well, for more information about cats and the do-as-I-do methodology, visit the Animal Cognition Journal at Springer.com. We'll post the link to Dr. Fagaza's research on our social media channels. But now, unfortunately, it's that time to wrap the show. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Yeah, it's that time. Unfortunately, it's it's uh, we got to wrap the show already. I know, incredible, but, incredible. But before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about pumpkin carving for the spookiest time of the year, a new doggy IQ test, and a pet adoption site created by Zoetis. Doctor Fleck, could you be so kind as to thank our guest? Yes, kindly. I thank our guest, Doctor Tina Wismer, Doctor Paul McCauley, and Doctor Claudia Fugaza. And we must, of course, thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write us at team at petbuzz.com. We will cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.